The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to talk about Tavistock and its involvement in psychological warfare. Uh, we tonight will primarily be reading from the book by Daniel Estulin titled Tavistock Institute Social Engineering the Masses. An excellent read. If you have the means, do pick it up. Uh, it is a fantastic documentation of many of the things. Tavistock has been involved with, and tonight we're going to be reading from a portion of it called Tavistock and the Unholy Alliance. Uh, so with that being said, we'll get right into the meat of the matter here. We've discussed Tavistock before in the past on this show and many of the others that we've done, and it's an important institute to remember here. It's an institution that has a lot of reach in this world, a lot of influence and this reaches way beyond just what we would consider the normal type of influence that uh, certain think tank groups and stuff in this world have. This is an all-encompassing type of a, a, a reach that Tavistock has. It uh, has involvement in various of the intelligence community groups and the different nonprofit think tank groups around the world. They have their tentacles in everything, let's put it that way. Uh, so without further ado, let's get right into the reading here, and we'll begin to break it down, as is my usual. The religious and mystical dimensions to the story of Tavistock are central to any study of the U.S. government's post-war interests in how psychology and parapsychology could benefit the intelligence agencies. I'm going to pause for a moment right then and there. Yes, they said parapsychology. Daniel Estulin mentioned parapsychology. Uh, I've discussed before at length how psychology and parapsychology are two sides of the same coin, much like physics and metaphysics are. And this is something that the power structure of this world would rather people be ignorant of, but there is very much a connection between these various facets of things. They are indeed two sides of the same coin, One's the head side, one's the tail side, and it doesn't matter which side you look at, they're both the same coin. And that's where a lot of people get it wrong in our modern scientific type culture with the methodologies we've been handed. We're taught to think in clearly what they would call scientific terms, uh, what I would call modern scientism. Uh, and in those viewpoints, we lose a lot of context of meaning in various things. So it's the same thing when you're talking psychology and parapsychology. And the intelligence agencies are clued in on this. And they have actually studied at length parapsychology and understand its use and its potential for use for training the public into certain behaviors. So with that being said, let's continue with the reading here. It was Tavistock and the cabal of scientists who were first to bring the potential use of paranormal abilities in military applications, as well as the first in developing chemical substances that would stimulate psychic abilities. 
This cabal included men such as, such as Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, head of CIA's technical services staff with shadowy connections both to Operation Paperclip on the one side and to the Kennedy assassination on the other. Going to pause for a moment again. Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, folks, look him up. This guy was creepy to the core. He was a psychologist who used some nefarious means to figure out the workings of the human mind and did some very unscrupulous things to people in order to get that done. Let's continue reading, though. As Peter Lavenda explains in his book Sinister Forces, quote, swirling about the feet and hands of the Kennedy assassination was a sticky fog of occultists, wandering bishops, American intelligence, and Nazi scientists. All were a handshake or two away from JFK's alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. They were all talking to ghosts, practicing ritual magic, holding hands around the seance table, or sacrificing chickens in New Orleans apartments. And in some cases, they were also members of America's ruling elite, the wealthiest and best-connected families in the country, end quote. The CIA was not the first organization to confront the task of probing the human mind. Operations Bluebird, Artichoke, and MKUltra were designed to respond to similar practices of the Soviet Union and China, what was termed in the popular press brainwashing. The show Trials of Cardinal Mindsenti of Hungary was more evidence that the communists had managed to develop a technique for altering consciousness in their political prisoners. American GIs returning from captivity in Korea were another example. That there might be a mysterious oriental method to cloud men's minds both frightened and excited the men of the CIA. In order quickly to learn as much as possible, they assigned psychiatrists, scientists, and medical professionals to the task of finding out how the mind, and specifically memory, works. In so doing, they came across occult practices, demonstrations of psychic abilities, and the mind control techniques of yogis, shamans, and witch doctors. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. Occultism runs deep, and especially within the intelligence community. They're not ignorant to occultism in the intelligence community. They understand that it has some inherent abilities to it. It's got its uses, and there are many people in this world that practice occultism, especially those at the uppermost echelons of our society, those quote-unquote elites of this world. They understand this in the intelligence community, and they try to leverage this in many ways. And the intelligence community is one of the places where many of these occultists take hold you see, they take up position within the intelligence community because it allows them to practice their occult teachings and do things they otherwise would not be able to do under the guise of national security and various other types of strategies that they use in order to further their occult powers, so to say, and their occult stance within the society at large. But let's continue reading here. Clearly, this was a realm of mind control that was well worth pursuing, and which gave birth to some of the strangest projects ever funded by the U.S. government. It was in combination with the work of Lewin, Trist, and Reese at Tavistock that these drugs, spiritual techniques, and laboratory tests opened a Pandora's box of suffering, violence, and perhaps even redemption through transformation. 
the Black Box of Consciousness. In this, Tavistock, the world's premier brainwashing institute, was unwittingly following in the steps of magicians, sorcerers, gurus, and cultists the world over. However, there was one difference. Going to pause for a second here, folks. Kurt Lewin, Eric Trist, and John Rawlings Reese. These were the three that were mentioned here. These guys were the epitome of what you would consider mind control operators. These guys broke down the very science of controlling a person down to uh, the most minute of details. They knew how to get it done. They documented it well. They had their own stratagems and their own theories that went along with this stuff, and they taught many others within the auspices of Tavistock and beyond Tavistock through the intelligence communities and various other places, too. And they all echoed a lot of these occult teachings, the secret society group teachings. This is where the mind control programming comes from. This has been done, done from time immemorial, going all the way back. You could trace it back to the mystery schools of antiquity. They learned how to manipulate people at a very high level back in the ancient mystery schools. These were the teachings that were brought forward and twisted and perverted through the secret society groups and have given us things like MKUltra and these various other projects that were mentioned here, Bluebird, Artichoke, all documented historical facts, all programs that definitely existed for real, not conspiracy theory or conjecture, real programs doing real obscene things to people, documented as historical fact with the links, documented links, to Tavistock and these people that were mentioned in the paragraph here. But without further ado, let's continue reading. Without meaning, there is no context for the experience. There is no way to integrate the material into one's psychological makeup. Tavistock's director, Brigadier General John Rawlings Reese, wasn't interested in meaning. Neither was Lewin or Trist or Adorno. That wasn't their job. Their task was to open up the mind to fast and easy manipulation, not to promote spiritual or psychic integration, or what Jung calls individuation. Their job was to create assassins, turn agents, interrogate prisoners, obtain information, and manipulate consciousness. Saving souls was for the priests. The CIA and the satanic cults, the mythology of the late 20th century, is surprisingly coherent, even though the masks change from case to case, from victim to alleged victim. The CIA, of course, does exist. Their mind control programs, from Bluebird to Artichoke to MK Ultra, are a matter of public record. Their history of political assassinations and the overthrow of various foreign governments are also a matter of record. Satanic cults, or perhaps we should qualify that and say occult secret societies, also exist and are a matter of public record. Their attempts to contact higher spirits through arcane rituals are also well documented and well known. Add all of this to espionage activities and you have a perfect fruit salad of paranoia, power, and prestige, mixing secret government work with secret rituals and the manipulation of those sinister forces we have been looking at. The secret handshake of the cult and the secret code of the intelligence agency, they both evoke the power of relationship that is beyond the reach of ordinary human beings. Intelligence officers and cultists have a lot in common. 
Secrecy is a way of life for both the spy and the sorcerer. They both use codes and code names. They both pretend to have access to mysteries not available to the general public. They both claim to be able to influence events at a distance with their special abilities and power. They both specialize in the manipulation of reality. Both are aware that things are not always what they seem to be. And they are both ruthless and often amoral or immoral in the pursuit of their goals. And when one can so easily manipulate the perception of reality, one eventually comes to the realization that truth itself is a malleable thing. So it was only natural that the cultist and the spy would gravitate towards each other and would try to learn from each other. This control of reality, of the perception of reality, and the creation of consensus reality is a powerful political tool and has been since ancient times when the proverbial sorcerers could appear to create solar eclipses by simply knowing when one would occur and act accordingly. To control and manipulate the reality of the masses, one uses what is known as psychological warfare. And it is but one step from controlling a person's perception of reality to getting that person to act on it. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. What's happened the past two and a half, almost three years now? What's been done? Do you see how this works? They manipulate your perception of reality and make you react to it and act accordingly. Look at what's been done to the world within the course of the past two and a half years. This is psychological warfare. This whole scamdemic that's happened has been nothing but psychological warfare. Absolutely, positively, to the letter. That's what's gone on. And we still see the ramifications of it going on today. There's still people out there that uh, walk around fearfully, wearing a mask and keeping their distance from everyone, and listening to the nonsense spewing from the television set over and over again. That's one of the big secrets of mind control, repetition. Repetition. And now they're going to double down and start promoting some of the same ideals that got us into the mess we're in today. Again. They're already beginning to ramp up the fear. They're calling it the triple-demic now. Now, here's the thing. First we had the pandemic, then last year they were calling for the twin-demic. Do you remember the twin-demic? And now this year it's the triple-demic, so next year it'll have to be the quad-demic, right? I mean, that would only make sense if we're going in progression of order here from the, what they want. So now they're they're touting this triple-demic, this con, you know congruence, confluence of COVID and the flu and RSV all simultaneously here. So now they're promoting the fear for that, and they are suggesting people mask up again and go out there and get your vaccines, get your flu shot, get your COVID shot, get your boosters. You see, who is this really benefiting, though? It's not benefiting the public. It's all mind control, folks. That's what's going on at the end of the day. It's a psychological warfare campaign that's been introduced with the COVID scamdemic. And now they're carrying it forward because they, they succeeded to a large degree with it. So now they're going to double down and they're going to pull it off every now and again, just because they can, as a way to further their own goals. You see, that's how this works. They will manipulate the consciousness of the public to benefit themselves. And they have us chasing shadows. That's what's going on here.
It's all a psychological warfare operation. It's all a scam. They create a false reality and they make us react like puppets on a string to the false reality they present. We don't have to, though, if we see through their lies and manipulations and refuse, opt out of their systems, if we refuse to do the things that they tell us we need to do in order to stay safe from their false paradigm they're presenting us, then their whole house of cards falls. All you have to do is refuse to participate in their nonsense. Remove your consent from their system and their whole house of cards falls. That's how this works. And if enough people do this, then they'll have to stop. They'll have no choice. They've gotten to the point now where they were getting so much pushback and so many people not listening that they had to do something. So now they came up with this narrative of the triple-demic, you see. Now now it's, it's a big problem. All these other things are becoming a problem now, too. Because not enough people are taking their booster shots now. Because people are having some real-world damaging effects from it. And they don't want anything to do with it anymore. So now they're doubling down and they're, uh, you know, trying to co-opt people into going and, and getting more of these shots. And complying to these ridiculous demands of putting a mask on your face in a public place. Keeping your distance from people. They're, they're ramping the whole thing back up again. That's what's going on. And it's it's ridiculous. It's always traditionally that time of year where people get sick, they get the flu or, you know, a cold or whatever you want to call it, where people get ill. You see, it's a normal thing. It's winter time. It happens. It's cyclical. It's part of the natural order of things. But now they've weaponized it in a new way and are trying to hold this over our heads. You'll notice if you pay attention to the things that they're saying about this quote-unquote triple-demic now, that they talk about, oh, hospitalizations, the hospitals are 80% full, and this and that and the other thing with this, and, you know, it's hitting children and stuff like that. You don't hear them talking necessarily about deaths. Remember with the COVID thing, it was how many deaths per day, how many people died of COVID today, and this kind of thing. Well, then they slowly started backing away from that, because that wasn't adding up to the, the big scary numbers they needed at some point. So now they started backing away from that. So then they were reporting cases, case numbers. And now it's the same thing with this triple-demic. You'll notice they're not reporting any deaths. It's nothing scary. It's nothing out of the ordinary. It's wintertime. People get sick. It's normal. But they're trying to ramp up the fear narrative around it and present you with this false reality so that you will react to it in the way that they want, which will further erode away at your rights and will further entrench you into their system because at some point they want to get you into their biometric digital system wherein they will have all of your genomic information, all your biometric information, all your financial information, all your personal information, all of your social information, everything, all in one central utility, a universal ID. This is where the game gets played, you see. Once they have this, and they have your biometrics attached to that, then sooner or later it becomes something attached to your body. A chip or a tattoo where you can't buy or sell 
unless you have this. And if you're not up to date on your current vaccine status, if you haven't had the latest booster, well, they could just turn off your bank account at the flick of a switch. You won't have any access to goods or services until you comply. Do you see where this goes? This is absolutely what they've had planned. This is absolutely what was outlined in the book of Revelation. This is what the Bible foretold, people. Whether you believe the Bible is divinely inspired or not is irrelevant. Either one of two things is happening here, or maybe it's a combination of both. First, prophecy is coming true before our eyes. Or second, they're using it as a playbook, which kind of makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Either one of those options, you need to read your Bible. You need to understand what's going on. You need to see the playbook in action. You see, that's the important thing here. We need to understand this has been planned for a very, very, very long time. And it's all a type of psychological warfare campaign. Before the term psychological warfare even came about, that's what these secret society groups have been doing behind closed doors. But let's not get too far off the subject. Let's get right back into the reading. The CIA and Tavistock were opening a Pandora's box of demonic forces, the black box of consciousness. The techniques included drugs, various forms of hypnosis, and even more extreme measures, such as those developed by Dr. Ewan Cameron in Montreal, procedures known as psychic driving, which involves drastic sensory deprivation sessions in an effort to wipe the consciousness clean and record a new consciousness over the old, much the same way we would record over a used cassette tape. It is the story of modern-day Frankenstein, or a laboratory full of Frankensteins, and the monsters they made. Monsters that wander the streets of our cities today. Quoting Peter Lavenda once again from his book, Sinister Forces, quote, The complexity of the human experience is such that we can only wonder what triggers me- or what trigger mechanisms exist in environment on television, in newspapers and magazines, and even the internet that suggest modes of behavior to these victims that are dangerous to themselves and to us. It would be only a matter of time before the mind control researchers began to scour the records of occultists, magicians, witches, voodoo priests, and Siberian shamans to isolate the techniques that were used since time immemorial to supplant a person's normal, comfortable, everyday consciousness and replace it with a powerful all-knowing and sometimes violent and always deceptive alter personality, and to use those alters to uncover the action of deep memory, for MK Ultra was, at its core, an assault on the land of memory, the creation of new false memories, and the eradication of old dangerous ones. End quote. Then Lavenda goes on to say, quote, for intelligence purposes, in the search for the perfection, what was required of MK Ultra was the ability to manipulate memory. But in exploring the mind and developing techniques for unlocking its secrets, the agency unknowingly tread on areas that have been the domain of religion and mysticism for thousands of years. When the CIA incorporated drugs into the program and bizarre sensory deprivation techniques, we had all the elements of a serious occult experience. Cults as disparate as that of Eleusis in Greece, Tantra in India, Siberian shamanism, Native American shamanism, 
Taoism in China, Jewish Kabbalism, even the relatively modern phenomenon of European ceremonial magic, as represented in the 20th century by the Golden Dawn, the OTO, and individuals such as Aleister Crowley. As mythologists such as Carl Jung, Mircea Eliade, and others have demonstrated, there is a great deal of similarity in technology among these arcane practices, and that similarity exists for a reason, end quote. So, absolutely, we see the tale of many of these same things that occur within these occult organizations also occur in the CIA mind control programs and in the Tavistock mind control programs. These are lifted directly from the occult organizations, folks. All of these techniques, they come directly from the secret society groups, from the old mystery schools, from the old mysteries. The ancient mysteries, the Eleusian mysteries, the Bacchic mysteries, all of these things that are somewhat recorded in history but fairly misunderstood by most people today. They record many of these same things going on then. The mind control techniques. This is what is passed along through the secret society groups. This is the secrets of the ages that they protect. The way to control other people. You see, and it's only those that get to the very highest levels of these orders that are given many of the secrets. The intelligence community has attempted to utilize... These same techniques, and now they have technologies that make it far easier to do so. That's the only difference today. The techniques are tried and true and have been practiced all throughout time, going back as far as we could look in history. It's just today they have better tools to get it done, you see. And that's the whole combination here that makes this so very dangerous. And then you put people in charge of these things that don't have the best of intentions, and it gets a little bit concerning, I would say, for those of us that are just your regular everyday person trying to live their lives in peace. And we see all this manipulation going on. And here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before, but uh, once you're awake to all of this stuff, once you see it, you can't unsee it. There's no going back. You can't go back into the Matrix. You can't go back to sleep once you see these things understand what they are and recognize them going on around you it's everywhere you see the mind control programming everywhere you look because that's what it is it's absolutely mind control programming trying to program your mind into believing in a fantasy-based reality that's the whole thing they shape your perception of what reality is when in fact it doesn't really reflect what they present to you and they've used tools like the television, the internet, the computer, the mass media, to present a worldview to you, to give you this picture that they want you to see the world as. And then we react to that, or we act as if that's the reality, when it probably isn't. The vast majority of what's presented to you on television is fiction. Even the news were handed a fictitious account of what happened. Now, there may be circumstances that may have happened that at one time maybe the news media was a little bit more honest, intellectually honest about reporting the news, but now everything has a bias to it, and we are only reported the biased view of the thing that's happened. 
And this could be demonstrated in something, uh, in a visual representation. There's a, a, a good picture out there. It's a meme that I've seen on the internet where it shows a an injured man, an army soldier, wearing a helmet, and he's laying on the ground. And there's a gun next to his head. And the there's another uh, person. There's three people in the picture. When you look at the big picture... There's the injured gentleman from the uh, other, the opposing military. There's one that's holding a gun near his head. And then there's another person holding a canteen of water up to the guy's mouth, giving him the water. And what they do in this meme is they show where if you take just the left section where the gun's against the guy's head, it looks as if it's a very bad thing. And then if you take just the right section where the guy's just giving the injured man water, it looks like a very good thing. And you miss the overall view of what's really going on there. The truth is somewhere in the middle, you see. And that's the thing, but it's how does the media present it to you? Do they show you which side? They show you the side they want you to perceive as the reality, when the reality is probably much different, you see. And I I don't know if I did the picture justice by describing it in that way. I'm sure people have seen it out there. Uh, But uh, at any rate, that's the whole point. We're just given a skewed picture of reality by the media. And who controls the media? Well, the same people that uh, take their marching orders from Tavistock. See, that's the whole point. They've been trained by Tavistock. The people that put entertainment out there, the people that put news programs out there, the ones that control the media, are trained by Tavistock. And they're trained to manipulate people's minds. And some of them probably do it unconsciously. It's called marketing, you see. I mean, there's many names for it. It's called propaganda if it's got a negative connotation to it. It's called marketing if it has a positive connotation to it. It's all the same thing, folks, and it's all a form of mind control. And that's what's been done here. The arcane doctrine and methods of a discarded science are at the heart of this study because they reveal the mechanisms by which society in general and individuals in particular have been manipulated by forces beyond their comprehension. Again, quoting Peter Lavenda's sinister forces, quote, Magic was there when MKUltra began its search for the secrets of the paranormal and interviewed witches and wizards in America and beyond. Ceremonial magic begins with the basic premise that is sometimes formulated as the hermetic axiom, as above, so below, a simple phrase with ominous implications. Magicians believe that connections or links exist between perceived phenomena and that to operate on one side of the link is to cause change to occur on the other. The magicians operate in the world of non-locality, a world where the force may be an object, a wave may be a particle, and everything is in the immediate communication with everything else. The magician pulls his strings, surrounded by an aura of deniability, an aura created by Newtonian science, since science states that what the magician does is impossible, the result of superstition and ignorance. There is no such thing as the Mafia, stated J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, and the capos laughed, end quote. This is absolutely a spot-on description of what's been done and how our minds... This is just one way our minds have been manipulated. We're taught to think in strictly scientific terms, what uh, Lavenda here calls Newtonian science. 
And it states that uh, what the magician does is impossible. But guess what? The magician still does it. It works. You see, that's the problem. That's why they will try their very best to use our quote-unquote modern science to deny magic as being a thing. But you know what? Here's the thing about magic. It works. And they know it. And that's the problem here. But they've trained us, the ignorant public, to not believe that any such thing has any validity to it. And these occult fraternities and secret brotherhoods, secret society groups, they withhold this occultic knowledge from the masses. They keep it at arm's length. They want you to believe the mystery behind it. And that, uh, you know, mystery has to do with these quote-unquote secrets of the ages, the magic. Do you know what the magic really is? It's manipulating the human mind. It's called causal engineering. If you want to think of magic in more scientific terms, call it causal engineering. All right. It uses subjective information fields to achieve results. That's what it does, if you want to get all sciencey sounding about it. That's what magic is. But they've poo-pooed the idea of magic being a legit thing. When, in fact, all of these people that practice these occult arts know that it works. <laughs> and that's the thing. The intelligence communities and all these people that have studied this stuff, they know it works. And, and that's the whole premise. That's the whole key here. Tavistock, they know this stuff works. And it may sound like a lot of hokum to people because that's part of the spell they've cast on us. They want us to believe that there's nothing to it, that it's all nonsensical. Science doesn't uphold any of the validity of it. These are the things they've handed us. This is the programming script they've handed us. They want us to believe in science, not magic, not religion, not faith, not the supernatural, nothing of the sort. They want us to deny all that and believe only strictly in science. But then they have things come along that their science can't quite explain. So what do we do in the face of that? Well, by and large, you get a lot of denialism about it. They deny it's happening. It, yeah, it doesn't exist. If they can't prove it in a scientific paradigm, it doesn't exist in their view. Now, when you take something like a, a complex subject like consciousness that you can't validly explain strictly through scientific method, it becomes problematic. So the denialism gets doubled down on, and they try to find workarounds to figure stuff out with it. So they use advanced mathematics to make things fit in where they need them to, to, to put the proverbial square peg in the round hole. That's exactly what they do. They do the same thing with physics. I'll use physics as an example. They can't quite account for how everything works in the relativity theory given by Einstein, so they came up with countermeasures to that, quantum theory. They can't make quantum theory and Einsteinian theory mesh. So they don't want to change the model that they have. So here's what they do. They'll insert a mathematical formula to make it work. Einstein called this formula the cosmological constant because you know what? His physics, the things he presented, his relativity theory, it didn't work without it. So he introduced the idea of what he called the cosmological constant. And what they call today dark matter or dark energy. That's the big buzzword now because it still doesn't work. 
they have to use mental gymnastics and mathematical gymnastics to make these things work and fit into the model that they present as our reality. When in actuality, here's the thing. If they were truly practicing scientific method, they would see that their model does not align with what actually happens. It doesn't fit. And they would know that they need a new hypothesis. That's not what they do. Instead, they double down and they do mental gymnastics to make it fit what they want it to fit. And they hand us that and call it science. It doesn't work. You see, it, it goes against what scientific method is supposed to be. But this is how they do things. And, and this is part of the, the programming as well. They want you to believe in something. They just don't want you to believe in something that they don't have a hand in, right? They want you to believe in what it is that they want you to believe, not what you want to believe. So they want to try and make every way possible for you to believe in this thing that they call science. Because you know what? Science is the new mythology, folks. It's the modern mythology that's been handed to us. Science is the new god, in their view. This is what they've been trying to get us to buy into. Science is your god. Man is his own god, you see, because he's smart enough. He's finally figured out all this science that unlocks the mysteries of the universe. And this is the key to God. I mean, they even came up with the idea of the God particle. You remember that? The Higgs boson. Well, they found this. They call it the God particle. It's crazy, isn't it? But uh, I'll tell you what. They are just so full of crap at this point. It's unbelievable. And they keep presenting this stuff with us and tell us it's reality when there's actually no physical proof of any of it. I mean, you're taking the word of a, a supercomputer as to these little, little little tiny minute particles, the existence of this God particle. A computer uh, allegedly detects it for like a, a zillionth of a second or something like that, that it exists for. And it's so small, you can't see it. The only way it could be detected is by a supercomputer. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's like absurd to even think in these ways. Yes, it's it's there. We found it. Uh, that's That's great. <laughs> you find exactly they're they're still not sure but uh, that's neither here nor there i'm i'm kind of getting off topic a little bit here now but this is kind of where it comes full circle because this is the amount of programming that we've had done against us right this is where their mind control techniques really truly work because the vast majority of the public would not even question the science you see and that's not how science is done but let's continue with the reading Mind control and magic, not very far apart at all. Thus, the magician is at once an interrogator and an interrogatee. He is the one in charge of manipulating and controlling the environment, but not for the effect it will have on someone else, but on himself alone. What the CIA has done in its interrogation manual, itself the product of MKUltra, is to separate the magician from the ultimate goal of all occultism which is the kind of spiritual perfection and elevated consciousness, and instead focus all the powers on occult techniques on an unwilling and uninformed subject to manipulate him as well as the environment to change the subject and transform him into something more useful to the interrogators and of mortal danger to the subject's own people. It is, in the jargon of occultism, black magic, and black magic in the service of the state. The Doors of perception 
had been opened, not only by drugs like mescaline, LSD, and psilocybin, but also the seance, the shamans, and secret ritual. All had become tools of the trade for elements of the CIA and their assault on memory and consciousness threw open the doors of perception and instead of letting the light in, they let darkness out. Drugs, shamanism, and the occult. The dark domain of Charles Manson, of John Rawlings Reese, of Nazi doctors, of Hollywood and the music industry, the CIA and MI6 initiation sessions. With psychedelics, they disturbed the sleep of ancient forces, and the world would never be the same again. Next part of the book here is called Elimination by Illumination. Psychological warfare, although in existence for centuries, was really a discovery of the Second World War. Korea, the Philippines, Vietnam, Africa, the Middle East, Latin America... The roll call of psychological operations is long and for the most part classified. Taken individually, these psychological warfare operations may have had a succinct political purpose, as defined and identified by nameless men in gray flannel suits in the corridors of power, or by presidents and national security advisors to further their own hidden agendas, but they were manifestations of something deeper. A spiritual war, a war of worldviews, a war we are still fighting numbly into the second decade of the 21st century. By 1964, the use of occult themes and rituals became an accepted part of psychological warfare planning. The Special Operations Research Office at American University prepared a paper at the request of the U.S. Army on witchcraft, sorcery, magic, and other psychological phenomena and their implications on military and paramilitary operations in the Congo. The paper was authored by James R. Price and Paul Girodini. American University was no stranger to psychological warfare research, having seen the establishment there of the Borough of Social Science Research in 1950. Its African studies of psychological warfare were underwritten by the Human Ecology Fund, an organization that was a front for the CIA's MKUltra program. Some of the people involved in the research were the same Nazis who years earlier escaped to the United States as part of Operation Paperclip. The relationship between the occult and the Nazis shouldn't surprise anyone who understands that the highest-ranking Nazis were contaminated with the ersatz paganism and popular occultism of the Thule Gesselcraft variety, which had been absorbed into the SS with torchlight processions and runic chants. Going to pause for a moment there, folks. Absolutely, yes, the Nazi party at the highest most levels was influenced by occult groups. Many of their ideologies came from this occult thinking, and many of the operations they underwent were all about occult things. Like, for instance, the Nazis were known to steal ancient artifacts. They would search for ancient artifacts with occult ties to them. Various things like that. It's a known commodity that's been highlighted in films like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and various other ones. See, this is something that was known of the Nazis. It's public record. They were heavily influenced by occultic ideas. Same things happened here. They've switched gears. The Third Reich came to America. They also went to Russia to a certain degree, too. And, you know... Uh, inculcated this whole 
idea of the Cold War. <laughs> this is another psychological warfare operation, folks. The Cold War was nothing but a psychological tactic from the get-go from both sides who were working together to achieve the same goals. And that's something that's not realized by many, but uh, it's definitely something that's there, right? We know that the Soviet Union and the United States were very much on good terms, for the most part, with various projects, like such, for instance, as the space program, you know, after, of course, the whole debacle in the 1960s and 70s with the space race and all of that stuff. Beyond that, they worked together, and they still work together. Russian rockets and stuff like that are used to ship United States goods into orbit, ostensibly, you see. And, and this is the whole thing. So behind the scenes, these governmental organizations and stuff, they, they work together, but they present a false reality to the public. They presented themselves, in the case of the Cold War, as bitter enemies, ready for destruction at the push of a button. Mutually assured destruction, you see. And this was the tool they used to manipulate the public consciousness in certain ways. This stuff's been done for a long time. It's the way psychological warfare campaigns are waged. They're waged against the public at large, not just oppositional military forces. They're aimed at the public. And when you have a small group of controllers at the top of the power structure who are aiming these psychological warfare weapons against the masses, it creates a state of domestic warfare, you see. And the weapons that they use are not weapons that are recognized in a conventional sense by the public. So they don't even realize they're having a warfare campaign led against them. That's where we are, folks. The quiet war has been going on quietly since 1954 with the first meeting of the Bilderberg group. They planned this campaign, this psychological warfare campaign, against the masses in what they then termed the quiet war using silent weapons technology, which is weapons of the mind, weapons against the mind in many ways. But uh, at any rate, let's get back to the reading here. Operation Paperclip. As Lavenda writes in Sinister Forces, there had to have been a level at which the U.S. government's leaders identified with the Nazis, or at least admired them. There had to have been a point in which the crimes of the Holocaust were considered a minor distraction, a kind of public relations nuisance that was overshadowed by the glamour of the perfectly run superstate of the Third Reich. There must have been an understanding that the ideologies of America and Nazi Germany were more alike than the ide ideologies of America and the Soviet Union. This is because there is no just there is just no other way to interpret what took place at the end of the war. Morally, what transpired can only be considered a war crime itself. Policymakers in Washington knew that the next major conflict would be fought between the United States and the Soviet Union. It was of utmost importance that top-level German scientists working on super-secret V1 and V2 projects as well as nuclear weapons technology be brought to American shores out of reach of the Russians and, more importantly, perhaps pressed into service to the United States. 
To that end, several wartime intelligence operations were put in motion. The most famous one was Operation Paperclip. Most people who have heard of Paperclip assume that it was a program to bring Nazi scientists to the United States to assist the space program. However, there was much more to Paperclip and to subsequent Nazi recruitment than rocket science. Nazi medical personnel were also recruited, as well as psychological warfare experts and with the Gellin organization, spies, assassins, and saboteurs. Going to pause for a moment here, folks. If you don't know who the Gellin organization is or who Gellin was, this was the guy who was a Nazi intelligence officer, saboteur, spy, extraordinaire. He was the head of their intelligence service. He was recruited in Operation Paperclip and was the head of the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, which was the precursor of the CIA and later morphed into the CIA. Gellin, Reinhard Gellin, look him up. That's who they recruited, who the Americans recruited right after World War II and, and absorbed the Nazi intelligence apparatus into their own intelligence apparatus known as the OSS the Office of Strategic Services, which later morphed into the CIA. So, that's a historical fact. It's a known commodity. No conspiracy theory there. Absolute documented fact. So, when we say the intelligence community, and we're talking about places like the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, all of these various three-letter organizations, many of them were founded upon Nazi ideology, and were founded by literal Nazis. You see, the Nazis took up operation within the intelligence groups and continued to do the same things they were doing before the war ended, but they were doing it under the auspices of the American intelligence services, and they had greater resources available to them then than they did with the Nazis in Germany. So what happened there? Did the uh, tail wag the dog? Or did the dog wag its tail? That's what you have to ask. Was America calling the shots? Or was the intelligence community, the newly inculcated intelligence community, the Nazis, were they calling the shots? Were they using psychological manipulations to position themselves in government here to get the things done that they wanted to get done and still working for themselves? But just playing the game, that's what you have to wonder. That's a likely scenario that's gone on, because many claim that the Fourth Reich is operational today, you see, and that uh, it's been ingrained into Western culture here. It's established itself in the American intelligence community. Who knows? It's hard to say these things, but these are historical facts. The Gellin Organization, recruited by Operation Paperclip, and later turned into the CIA. And this also has connections to Tavistock, as we'll see here. The paperclip story is long and very complex. It involves the alphabet soup of intelligence agencies and programs, from CROCAS, the Central, Central Registry of War Crimes and Security Suspects, to CIC, SIS, OSS, CIA, and JIOA, and many more. It deals with dozens of countries, their intelligence agencies, armies, political parties, Roman Catholic Church, and criminal justice systems. By the time Paperclip was over, 
an entire division of Ukrainian Waffen-SS, as well as thousands of Nazi scientists, many of them accused of war as war criminals, who had participated in some of the war's worst atrocities, had managed to find home in the United States, South America, and in the Middle East. Whatever the morality of the recruiting of German scientists, there was another dimension to the experiments that has gone virtually unnoticed by researchers due to the near-total lack of documentation and the lack of living witnesses. The evidence that does exist is largely circumstantial, but much of it can be found in the captured German documents section of the National Archives and then collated with later testimony that turns up in memoirs, biographies of the war years, and its aftermath. The first evidence we have that anything like a mind control program existed within the Third Reich is the memoirs of Himmler's astrologer Wilhelm Wolff, who talks about the Nazi desire to create a program within the Reich to duplicate the mental state of the Japanese soldier, a human being willing and eager to risk his life without question for his country, and the Chinese communist human wave trooper who would rush unthinkingly into certain slaughter. Thus, paperclip scientists were involved with military, and the CIA mind control programs, such as Friedrich Hoffmann, a Nazi chemist who advised the CIA on matters relating to psychotropic substances for use in brainwashing. The Germans were among the first to study the use of psychological warfare. At the same time, after the war, psychological warfare became inextricably intertwined with propaganda and communications and eventually bled over into acts that can only be considered terrorism, assassinations, sabotage, torture, and interrogations, the domain of Tavistock Institute of Human Relations. As psychological warfare became more sophisticated and the intelligence services at once more creative and more demanding, new techniques were developed and virtually codified. All of these techniques share an ontological purpose to manipulate perceptions and to recreate reality. Once that Pandora's box was open, there was no closing it again. The temptation was too great. For those who wanted to play God, there was the next best thing. One could play with the elements of creation in such a way that magical transformations would take place. As the men of the OSS, CIA, military intelligence, and with Tavistock's oversight developed from the armchair scholars that most of them were before the war years into soldiers fighting on all fronts of the Cold War, they became, in a very real sense, magicians. The CIA mind control projects themselves represented an assault on consciousness and reality that has not been seen in history since the age of the philosopher kings and their court alchemists. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. So when I say to you, these mind control techniques, the intelligence communities, all of these different psychological warfare campaigns and operators of psychological warfare campaigns, they all derive their teachings from the occult secret society groups, derived all the way back from the mystery schools, all of these ideas brought forward through time, through a secret organization of varying sorts with many different faces on it, brought forward through time in a an unbroken succession throughout history, these secrets of the ages. It's all about controlling people. It's all about manipulating people. Power over the mind. 
That's the bottom line here. It's been adopted by intelligence communities, and Tavistock in the modern era has been a primary hub for teaching people how to manipulate mankind, especially with mass psychology, and mass psychology works a little different than individual psychology. So with that being the case, it is akin to a type of magic. So the magicians of old were masters at manipulating people's perceptions of reality, and that's what they still are today. And that's what's done to us en masse today. Our reality, our perception of reality, is manipulated by mass media. And this is the key to understanding how to see through the nonsense. When you understand that most everything we're fed, about 98% of all the information we're fed that we see, comes from very few sources at the topmost levels of the power structure. So they could present a picture to you that they want you to see. They want you to perceive this as the reality. And they do this in very subtle ways. A lot of this has to do with the way news is reported. See, that that's another kind of a misnomer. There are not independent journalists out there anymore that go around and, uh, you know, scoop the stories like has once been reported. No, what they do is they get a press release from AP Newswire or Reuters Newswire Service. These Newswire Services... They're the ones that give you the news. They'll tell you what's happening. They give it to all the news stations and the news personalities, and the anchors will just read the script, verbatim in most cases, just with their local flair maybe attached to it. But it's the same script. You could see this. You could look up on YouTube demonstrations of this, where you see it's the, the newscasters from all these different markets are reading verbatim the same script of the news story and presenting it as a factual local news story when in fact it's really just handed to them by one of these newswire services that's what ap associated press reuters cnn has their own newswire service too there's very few of these newswire services they do the press releases they decide what's news you see and when you have such a small group of people deciding what is the news and then presenting it as fact in the local flair of all these channels and networks across the world or the country and presented to people from all of these different angles. Well, when you hear the same thing from this many different people from different places, well, there must be some truth to it, right? Well, no, not necessarily, because what you have to realize is they're just reading what they're handed. There's nobody out there actually doing any actual journalism anymore. Aside from, you know, maybe some researchers in the alternative media community or, you know, truth-seeking community, much like what we do here. But uh, we're not taken seriously. That's the problem. The vast majority of the public does not take alternative news sites seriously. They don't see them as presenting factual evidence. Why? Well, because it's not reported en masse by the mass media communications. You see how they, they play this game? It's not, they call it uh, not a reliable source, but they would call AP Newswire or Reuters Newswire or CNN Newswire Service. They would call these reputable sources, right? They would call them reputable sources. But yet, those of us that actually do independent investigation of things, we're not considered reputable sources. 
And so people don't take what we say seriously. They look the other way, you see. And that's all part of the programming that's been done here. It's really insidious when you think about it. They control your perception of reality. And that's how they got you. If they control your perception of reality, if you think the world is one way, well, you act to, uh, you react to it appropriately, right? In a way that you think would be most beneficial or, or least harmful to yourself. You react. Well, if that reality is skewed, then maybe you're just reacting to something that's not really there. <laughs> and this is the bottom line. They're masters at this kind of manipulation. They've done this for so long, and they've established themselves in places of power and authority here where they could manipulate people on a mass scale like this now through the technologies and through the various networks and means that they've set up. So people can be fooled much easier today than they could, say, 50 years ago or 100 years ago. My grandfather's generation would not fall for any of the nonsense going down in the media right now. All these things being presented to us in the world, they wouldn't. They wouldn't stand for it. But in two generations, things have changed. And in another two generations, it's going to be unbelievably bad with how the mind control is, how rampant it is. We've all been manipulated. We've all had our opinions formed and shaped by people we've never seen or heard of. Edward Bernays said that. Our minds are molded. Our opinions are formed by people we've largely never even heard of. You see, that's the power of media. That's the power of these psychological warfare campaigns. Mass mind control. Let's continue reading and we'll wrap it up here pretty soon. Mind Control. In an extraordinary book, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, Michael Hoffman writes, Looking into the subject of mind control, one finds that the scope is wide and methods used are sophisticated. Mind control traces its origins to religious institutional use by the priesthoods. Techniques of mind control developed in our Western culture were field-tested by the Jesuits. Certain Vatican groups and various mystery religions, secret societies, and Masonic organizations... Methods tested during the Inquisition were refined by Dr. Joseph Mengele during the reign of the Third Reich. Soon afterwards, a mind control project called Marionette Programming, imported from Nazi Germany, was revived under the new name Project Monarch. The basic component of the Monarch program is the sophisticated manipulation of the mind using extreme trauma to induce multiple personality disorder, now known as dissociative identity disorder. In public testimony submitted to the President's Committee on Radiation, there are amazing allegations of severe torture and inhumane programs foisted upon Americans and other citizens, especially as children. This wedding of the purely psychological with the purely physiological became the cornerstone of subsequent intelligence agency programs designed to uncover the secrets of the mind, the interface between the lump of gray matter we call a brain and the great beyond we call reality. Gonna pause for a moment there, folks. If you haven't picked up Michael Hoffman's Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, it is a must-read this guy really understood on a deeper level than most. Way back then in the early 1990s when he wrote it, what was going on to the degree it was going on and 
much, much more. He had a very good finger on the pulse of reality here as far as the things that have been done. It's a must-read. He also has an excellent book that came out more recently called Twilight Language. Also a recommended read. But, uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot that goes into psychological warfare and mind control programming, and he uncovers a lot of it. So if you want a Ph.D. education in mind control, read Michael Hoffman's work. It'll give open your eyes to a lot of things. Let's continue on. The CIA Conspiracy. Peter Kusky writes in The Shaping of Anglo-American SS by War, According to the OSS's assessment staff's post-war report assessment of men, it was Dr. John Rawlings Reese and his Tavistock crew at the British War Office Selection Board who contacted the London office of the OSS to suggest that the Special Warfare Organization adopt Tavistock selection and training methods. It was Reese who devised the OSS brainwashing election procedures, and Lewin, that's Kurt Lewin, helped refine them. It was also Rockefeller-sponsored Reese who devised a U.S. financier-promoted insurgency counterinsurgency project. The development of the CIA establishment has been essentially directed to a systematic infiltration of all principal existing institutions, an infiltration which is a deliberate preparatory deployment aimed at the establishment of a quasi-legal fascist takeover with the help of some of the leading families of America. Many of the future leaders of the CIA came from America's ruling families, from a never-ending pool of bankers and industrialists such as DuPont, Vanderbilt, Bruce, Mellon, Archbold, Morgan, and Roosevelt. For example, Teddy Roosevelt's grandson, Quentin Roosevelt, was an OSS special operations officer in China, as was Winston Churchill's cousin, Raymond Guest. J.P. Morgan's two sons, Junius and Henry S., were in charge of the laundering of all OSS funds and the counterfeiting of all OSS identity papers. Gonna pause for a moment here, folks. So like we've said so many times, there's a few family names that pop up over and over again within the auspices of the power structure here. And once again, we see them, DuPont, Vanderbilt, Morgan, Roosevelt, Rockefeller, Rothschild. These various names we're all pretty much familiar with. Vanderbilt. You know who's a Vanderbilt? You ever see a guy named Anderson Cooper on CNN? He is the heir to the Vanderbilt fortune. He is Gloria Vanderbilt's son. Did you know that? Did you also know that he was part of the CIA's Operation Mockingbird? That's right, folks. He's a paid CIA informant and agent. Works on CNN as a reporter. A, quote, a reporter. You could picture me doing the Dr. Evil air quotes. A reporter <laughs> on CNN. Uh, yeah, okay. Why would this multi-millionaire, I think he's actually a billionaire, if I'm not mistaken. Why would he be bothering with something like, you know, being a news personality on CNN, one of the lowest-rated networks out there. What's the point? Well, he's a CIA operative. That's why. And a member of various secret society groups as well. 
just so you know. Uh, there's a, I can't remember the name of the group, but uh, he was a member of a certain fraternity at the college where he attended, and it was heavily linked with Freemasonic ideas and stuff like that, equated with the various groups. It's not the Skull and Bones or the Scroll and Key. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's immaterial, but uh, yeah, when you see that guy, Anderson Cooper, on TV, know who he is. He's one of the people that uh, are inculcating this nonsense on the public. The Rockefeller Connections. One of the people closely associated with the Rockefeller clan was John Gardner, an OSS psychologist in charge of personal assessment. For over three decades, he headed Rockefeller's most important organizations, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Carnegie Corporation, Education and Welfare Department, and Common Cause, a nationwide independent nonpartisan organization for those Americans who want to help in the rebuilding of the nation. In fact, Common Cause was a front for a cabal to impeach and remove Nixon from the White House on the one hand and install David's brother Nelson Rockefeller as the president on the other. Arthur Goldberg, another one of Rockefeller's loyal servants, future U.S. Secretary of Labor and Supreme Court Justice under President John F. Kennedy, was placed in charge of the Office of Strategic Services Labor Desk. Along with Trist and Lewin, Goldberg would push counterinsurgency as a method of labor control or labor movement control. The list of Rockefeller supporters and representatives in key positions is a who is who among the nation builders of the 20th century. Alan Dulles, former director of Rockefeller's Standard Oil Corporation, was OSS chief of secret intelligence for Europe and later head of the CIA. Dulles, a prototypical Eastern establishment figure, is a perfect example of the invisible confluence of fascist interests around the creation of new imperial dominion controlled by Rockefeller through CIA Tavistock corporate interests. For instance, Dulles was put in charge of the CIA's Bluebird mind control project, which he changed to artichoke because he was fond of the vegetable. Furthermore, Allen and his brother John Foster were senior partners at Rockefeller's Standard Oil's chief law firm, Sullivan and Cromwell, a notorious CIA front with links to the most important financial houses on Wall Street. Sullivan and Cromwell's twin was a German law firm of Albert and Westrick, who was simultaneously Hitler's financial agent. An Abouar spy master in the United States and Sullivan and Cromwell's German representative. As a result, the Dulles Law Firm acquired three major German concerns as standard oil cartel partners. Among them was the murderous IG Farben industry, which was, with the Krupp Works, the principal user of concentration camp slave labor for Nazis' blitzkrieg economy. The Dulles family had long and extensive ties to the Nazi underground and had been laundering Nazi money for decades. Both played major political roles throughout the 1920s and the 1930s in the rearming of Germany by night policy, premised on using the Wehrmacht as a weapon against the Soviet Union and European working class. Alan Dulles was in an intelligence position in Switzerland during the First World War, developing the contacts and the network he would use as the years went by. 
He would be one of the key people working the Byzantine machinations of the post-war Operation Paperclip that formed the real structure of resurgent fascism of what became known in the intelligence community simply as blowback. While Allen was employed in Switzerland, his brother John Foster was working at the State Department in Washington. Their uncle, ultra-conservative Robert Lansing, was President Woodrow Wilson's Secretary of State. The Dulles brothers actively courted Nazi officials in the 1930s, as did the Rockefeller and Wall Street corporate interests, such as Ford Motor Company and IBM, and helped them escape after the war, especially when Alan Dulles became CIA director beginning in 1953. Dulles's chief of counterintelligence, James Jesus Angleton, later the CIA's Vatican liaison, and Frank Wisner, who oversaw Gellin Organization's special forces in 1952-53, would be involved with various secret off-the-books operations, among them Odessa, which helped relocate Nazis into Peron's Argentina and Diaspine, or the Spider, a loose designation of the post-war remnants of the Nazi secret police and covert intelligence apparatus, whose U.S. point man was a Rockefeller Republican Party supporter, Harold Keith Thompson. We will come back to Diaspine a bit later in the report. In 1945, Dulles, along with the former Gestapo OSS agent Hans Bernd Giesewus, was accused by the U.S. Treasury Department of laundering Nazi funds from Hungary into Switzerland. The investigation was eventually dropped when the U.S. State Department claimed jurisdiction. If anyone still has any doubts about a close proximity of the Rockefeller clan to the Nazis, in 1945, President Truman fired Nelson Rockefeller for his role in engineering the creation of Perón's fascist regime, which provided a safe haven for over 100,000 Nuremberg criminals delivered by Alan Dulles from Europe. In his national bestseller, Blowback, author Christopher Simpson wrote... Quote, after World War II, Nazi emigres were given CIA subsidies to build a far right-wing power base in the U.S. These Nazis assumed prominent positions in the Republican Party's ethnic outreach committees. These Nazis did not come to America as individuals, but as part of organized groups with fascist political agendas. The Nazi agenda did not die along with Adolf Hitler. It moved to America, or a part of it did, and joined the far right of the Republican Party, end quote. I'm going to pause right there. I don't think Christopher Simpson is right. Because simply because of this reason, Nazism is a leftist ideology, not a right-wing ideology, you see. But I may be wrong about that. Maybe they did inculcate themselves into the Republican Party to kind of throw off uh, a little bit of the, the base there. But at any rate, Nazism, Nazi, literally means national socialism. Socialism is a leftist ideology. Nazism was a leftist ideology. So I don't know if Christopher Simpson was correct in that assessment here. Maybe he was. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But let's continue reading, and I'm going to wrap it up here. From Richard Helms, a future CIA director and Dulles liaison man, to Wehrmacht intelligence chief General Reinhard Gellin, to CIA director William Coby, who received his training as the OSS special operations officer from the 
SOE in London, the list of interlocking Rockefeller Nazi Tavistock interests, is endless. The Tavistock techniques of gang, counter-gang, sabotage, and political assassinations Colby learned at SOE's special training school were the very methods he later used in directing the CIA's Project Phoenix in South Vietnam, which included the mass assassination atrocities at My Lai. It is one thing to generate a conspiracy during a period of aggravated wartime crisis. It is another matter altogether to sustain and extend its dominion throughout the period of apparent peacetime normalcy. As things settled down at the end of World War II, the Rockefeller CIA set about to expand its apparatus. In the process, they would try to permeate and dissolve the old order to emerge as the hard core of a new imperial dominion. The Tavistock and the Riesian method that the class war should be waged with weapons that affect morale more than they take life has become, in the post-war period, the primary weapons system of the Rockefeller forces, including their own covert arm, the Central Intelligence Agency. And I'm going to pause for a moment here, folks. These would be what we would call silent weapons. You see, we've covered that in detail in the past here. If you want to go back and listen to a broadcast I did about the quiet war, we go into detail in the in the document, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, what this all entails. Let's continue reading, though. We're almost done. For example, in 1977, the U.S. Senate Church Committee investigation exposed criminal activities by the Central Intelligence Agency. Quoting Peter Kusky, Among the most damning revelations was the CIA's 25-year history of secret experimentation with mind-altering drugs, mass psychological manipulation, North Korean-style brainwashing, and torture techniques under the rubric of Operation MKUltra and other programs. The New York Times ran a front-page story singling out Dr. Lewis West, going to pause for a moment here, folks, also known as Jolly West, as one of the CIA's top MKUltra mind destroyers. The Times obtained a West-authored memo advocating the use of LSD in social control. The memo, the paper reported, read in part, quote, This method, foreseen by Aldous Huxley in Brave New World, 1932, has the governing element employing drugs selectively to manipulate the governed in various ways. In fact, it may be more convenient and perhaps even more economical to keep the growing number of chronic drug users, especially of the hallucinogens, fairly isolated and also out of the labor market, with its millions of unemployed. To society, the Cominards with their hallucinogenic drugs are probably less bothersome and less expensive if they are living apart than if they are engaging in alternative modes of expressing their alienation, such as active, organized, vigorous political protest and dissent. End quote. Earlier, that is shortly after the war, Reese gave a speech in New York to a group of military and civilian psychiatrists. If we prepare to come out into the open and to attack the social and national problems of our day, then we must have the shock troops, and these cannot be provided by psychiatry based wholly in institutions. We must have mobile teams of psychiatrists who are free to move around and make contacts with the local area, end quote. The overall theme of all Reese's known work in, is the development of the use of psychiatry as a weapon of the ruling class. I'm going to repeat that sentence, folks. 
The overall theme of all of Reese's known work is the development of the use of psychiatry as a weapon of the ruling class. Do you get it? Let that sink in. Reese's 22-point program for the application of military methods to civilian life, presented in his lectures that constituted the book The Shaping of Psychiatry by War, became an Anglo-American SS Bible. From Vienna in 1956, Reese, under the cover of his World Federation for Mental Health, and Frank Wisner, the CIA Deputy Director and Chief of Special Operations, coordinated the counterinsurgency, insurgency popularly known as the Hungarian Revolution. Reese emphasized the value of overt and covert operations through the use of military as a model of improvements in civil affairs institutions. One of these covert operations was the De Spinet Network, the, the spider, as we discussed earlier. Through the period of the Cold War, the De Spinet Network was employed in a covert corporate and CIA intelligence spiritual crusade to roll back the Iron Curtain, such as the paramilitary operation known as the Hungarian Uprising in 1956. After the 1963 JFK assassination, De Spine was deactivated in favor of the fascism with a human face policy, championed by such left fascist elements as the Institute for Policy Studies. Executive Intelligence Review on De Spine operations makes an interesting observation of Cold War operations. The Hungarian Revolt of 1956 was De Spine's most famous. Amid a full deployment of British Fabian and similar operatives to destabilize Eastern Europe's communist parties following Khrushchev's de-Stalinization speech, the Gellin Organization's special forces comprised from former Waffen-SS and Brandenburg Division cadre covertly invaded Hungary and linked up with old fascists from the Aerocross Party, which the Nazis used during the occupation to conduct a wave of sabotage and assassinations. It was these elements which formed the core of the so-called Hungarian freedom fighters. The command structure extended down through scenario design and policy direction at the levels of national security, the Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board, the Hudson Institute, and the Hoover Institute of War. In the end, the CIA-directed liberation of Hungary failed because when push came to shove, the Soviet Union was willing to undertake a nuclear war to preserve their hold over the satellite states. The Americans, though rhetorically committed to liberation, were not willing to fight World War III to achieve that objective. Among the Nazis laundered through Alan Dulles's Operation Sunrise and Operation Paperclip for post-war use were SS Untersturmführer Paul Diekopf, who would serve as Interpol's head between 1968 and 1972. Interpol is an international private police agency which functions a coordinating body for despinate terrorism. Gonna repeat a little something there, folks. Interpol is an international private police agency which functions as a coordinating body for this former Nazi unit. You see, intelligence unit, Despine, the spider. Did you ever wonder about the symbol of the spider? Well, wonder no more. Now you understand maybe a little something about Interpol and the spider, how it weaves its web of international intrigue as use of an intelligence organization.
A little-known fact about Interpol is that it grew out of anticipation of the First World War set up by the House of Rothschild in Vienna in 1923. The family felt it needed a special intelligence organization to watch over the interests of bankers, who were financing both sides of the war. In order not to make things look too suspicious, they called on Prince Albert I of Monaco to invite lawyers, judges, and police officers from several countries to discuss international cooperation against crime. With the abundance of proof, still most people would find it difficult to accept that the CIA, as an adjunct of the Rockefeller-led organization that, along with the Tavistock Institute, is working diligently to change the paradigm of modern society, if we are to believe the United States federal statutes and other myths concocted for the benefit of the credulous, the CIA is merely a key agency of the National Security Council, working with various intelligence agencies, the Defense Department, the Treasury, and the FBI. The reality is quite different. The CIA apparatus has penetrated every key organization, including think tanks, universities, non-governmental organizations, and foundations. For example, most major universities are either entirely or substantially branches of the CIA. I'm going to repeat that sentence, folks. For example, most major universities are either entirely or substantially branches of the CIA. At the University of Michigan, we have the most notorious example of the Institute for Social Research. Calling its work a telescope on society, ISR are notorious disciples of John Rees and Tavistock. Then there is Harvard's Russian Institute, like Columbia's, but also Harvard's psychology department, is a covert CIA operation run for many years by another Reesian psychopath, B.F. Skinner a psychologist who asserted that men have no minds. Massachusetts Institute of Technology has always been a flourishing nest of CIA activity. The University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School was home of Eric Trist, a Rockefeller-sponsored Reesian fascist who directed a series of social work projects. Cornell, Berkeley, and Stanford are also notorious CIA fronts. Through control of governmental and major foundations, the CIA has been able to have a say not only in what programs are funded, but to control the selection of instructors who move into controlling positions, as honest academicians are weeded out and hounded into retirement. Then there is the case of the CIA's control of private foundations. For example, the Rockefeller Foundation was established by the family on April 24, 1913. The statement of purpose cynically read, quote, to promote the well-being of mankind throughout the world, end quote. Another powerful Rockefeller-controlled foundation is the Ford Foundation, whose head was a Rockefeller stooge and a CIA operative named McGeorge Bundy of the CIA Bundy family. McGeorge's father, Harvey married a Lowell, one of the wealthiest American families, and then worked under Henry Stimson at the War Department. After helping Stimson write his memoirs, Bundy joined Richard Bissell, his professor at Yale, during his undergraduate days in Europe to help implement the Marshall Plan. When Bissell became head of special operations at the CIA, Bundy went with him again. Bissell later would become a Ford Foundation director and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. What's more, William Bundy, McGeorge's older brother, was not only one of the most powerful men in the CIA, but was also a member of the Rockefeller-controlled Council on Foreign Relations and an editor of the CFR's Foreign Affairs magazine. 
The Rockefellers also have interlocking control over other the other most powerful foundation, the Carnegie Foundation. Leading directors of the Carnegie Foundations have for decades belonged to the Rockefeller Coordinated Council on Foreign Relations. In addition, 12 of the 17 members of the Carnegie's Board of Trustees are also associates of various Rockefeller financial institutions, including Richard Beatty, chairman of Simpson, Thatcher, and Barlett LLP law firm, a notorious CIA front, and Susan Hockfield, president of Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Another Rockefeller supporter is a current president of Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, Jessica Tuchman-Matthews, who is also a regular member of the powerful Bilderberg organization. Carnegie is a foreign policy, or sorry, is a foreign police think tank. I think it was supposed to say policy. Carnegie is a foreign policy think tank interlocked with other Rockefeller think tanks and foundations, such as Ford, Hoover Institute, and Hudson Institute, whose senior fellow, Marie-José Travis, is also a member of the Bilderberg Group. When I think of this chapter, I think of Mona Lisa, or rather the smile of Mona Lisa. Her grin is the grin of men and a few women who engage in the most vicious forms of psychological warfare against the human race. The knowing grin of men who commit crimes against humanity. In this chapter, we have exhumed the corpse of Tavistock's greatest architect, John Rawlings Reese, and a few of his most loyal henchmen tracing the living trail of mind control and ritual killing and placing them at the feet of some of our most important puppet masters. Let there be light, he said. The skeleton key turned once, twice, three times. The door was pulled ajar with a squeak. Something moved, a shadow. Then it was gone. There is blood on our hands, and there are documents. This is history. You can't have one without the other. Blood, documents, guilt, innocence, knowledge, ignorance, frustration, fear. But you can't know history unless you know fear. You can't know history unless you feel the pulse of life under your fingers, unless you can stare the guns in the face, unless you can stand in the prisons and the death camps and feel the gaze of informers and spies and soldiers on your back in foreign countries and on your own doorstep your own driveway. History is not to be absent, but to become absent. To be someone and then go away, leaving traces. The rest is only bookkeeping. The world has always been like this, of course. It has always been run by people. Superstitious, religious, fearful, paranoid, ugly, hateful, murderous people. This is nothing new, but at a specific point in the century we took this a step further. With JFK, we opened Pandora's box and the black box of human consciousness. We flipped open the lid and rummaged around inside, and we loosed monsters on the earth. Monsters who feed on human flesh and who drink the nectar of human souls. With what we have seen here, one comes to the conclusion that there is nowhere to go, no one to trust. Everything we know, we see through a prism of a lens, cold and calculating. For what else is a camera but a special device for transforming and viewing our world? As any photographer who has slipped beneath the dark cloth and focused a portion of the world upon their ground, grounded glass can tell you, the eloquent mirror of the lens inverts and reverses the world. 
optically, mathematically, and magically. As we pose our subjects and view them through our lens, we create our own special world, and emerging from the dark cloth are an array of characters who made the 20th century their own. JFK, Rockefeller, Reese, the little gray men in flannel suits and CIA badges, their Tavistock companions, and all sorts of unsavory crazy Nazis. It is the Wizard of Oz meets MK Ultra. We live in the most at the abnormal, even paranormal, of times. And unless we heed the reality that underlies the everyday, our failure to connect the dots will allow our denial to persist. With JFK front and center, we are awash, not in the coincidental, but in the subliminal, and the possibility that the mythic battle between demonic and angelic forces are yet being recreated on planet Earth. We could end this by saying we are not in Kansas anymore. Unfortunately, might I say, paraphrasing Mephistopheles, why this is Kansas, nor am I out of it. And we're going to end right there, folks. So this was an interesting topic tonight, an interesting read. And I think we've demonstrated that pretty well tonight. This is a, a, a great book, if you want to pick it up. Daniel Estelin does a great job breaking down many of these historical facts. And that's the whole thing. All of this is based upon historical fact. The occult connections are definitely there. Many people will deny them. But I assure you, it's there. And it could be traced all the way back as far in time as we could look. To the secret priesthoods, the priestcraft, the ruling elites of yesteryear. Same families still today. That's the implication. And they've inculcated themselves into various factions within society at large within the power structure of the world to enable themselves to be able to do the things they do so with that being said i'm going to end it there tonight i thank you all for tuning in i appreciate each and every one of you i'll catch you next time have a good night now Come with me. Say